welcome to the Round 4 Fans Eyed Preview. Brought to you by Sportsmate, Footy Live, and of course, TLA. And a question without notice from my co-host across the room. Not only is he usually the sad hawk, however, this week the happy hawk, uh, he's also the spokesperson of the fan. Nikki G, I ask you this question every year, but how will you be spending your Easter weekend? Is it filled with footy, or are you just saving yourself up for Monday afternoon? Um... I mean, it, it, it's filled with footy because that's the way it's shaped, isn't it? Good Friday, Easter Sunday, uh, and then obviously Easter Monday, which is which is a big day in the footy calendar, uh, not just for Hawthorne and Geelong fans. Um, it's always quite a good game, but um, yeah, I don't I don't often get too caught up in Good Friday and Easter Sunday footy. Obviously, when you're with family and that sort of stuff. Um, you might have it on in the background, the games, but I'm not generally uh, engaged mm. in the games. Not entirely sure if I still agree with Good Good Friday footy, but this week maybe it'll be a bit different because obviously Marvel Stadium is sold out. They've got the Blues playing, which helps with the crowd numbers for North Melbourne, helps with the all-round storyline, I guess, of the game because Carlton are you know, topical and North Melbourne are not, <laughs> to put it simply. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes this week. Historically, it hasn't been a very fun fixture to uh, watch, but um, I'll give it one more chance this weekend. Yeah, and sometimes I feel like it'd be a bit more adventurous with the with the time slots. Not that everything has to be geared towards TV, but, you know, not every family, obviously, in the Melbourne population in terms of this case is going to be celebrating Easter. So that's also fair enough. There are other religions out there. There are also a lot of religious ceremonies happening this weekend across lots of denominations. So yes. everyone's quite busy actually. But 4.20 is an awkward time because I feel like if you're doing lunch, you're not going to make it for 4.20. No. And then, as you said, it's only on the, on the TV in the background. Why is that just not a regular Friday night game? If that's just a regular Friday night game, you can do the lunch, you can do the traditional stuff, yep. and then you head off to the footy. Yep, yep, I totally agree with you. I, I don't know why. 4.20 is just, it, it is an awkward time. It is an awkward time. And I, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, obviously, with this as well, but um, if, if people are, you know, of the Christian faith and do take uh, religion and Good Friday seriously, a lot of churches actually start at about three o'clock. So if you want to do both, you can't. Mm. It's it's one or the other. So yeah, it's 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 a strange time. Yeah, very very strange time. And the same for the Sunday games as well. Starting at two ten and five twenty. Given that Monday's the public holiday, uh, I would have thought maybe you go traditional time slot of of three twenty for the first game, and then you roll into a proper night game over in the west because that stadium is really good at night as well. But again, we don't make the uh, the fixtures, and I'm sure the TV people have their you know their time slots done in there. Maybe a Good Friday appeal nighttime gala extravaganza. It has to be on at 7.30 or something like that. So I'm sure Channel 7 has done the numbers and uh, they're much more smarter than we are. But as a fan, didn't quite make sense for me. Speaking of things that don't make sense, each Thursday afternoon we like to break down the big topics, but from a fan's eye view. We're not here as former 100-game, 300-game AFL experts. We're not you know, yep. talking as a host on AFL 360, but as a fan, we've got the fan's eye view, and we're just as uh, credentialed to talk about these things. And this issue is always something at the, at the bottom of your heart, and it's the umpires again, but it's umpire descent mm. or... So dissent or abuse, and there's apparently a big difference between those two things now. Have we gone, and we, I mean the AFL, gone too far on cracking down on umpire dissent? It's not holding Dissent. On clear and dissent. So it's going to be a Carlton free kick. Here, dissent. So, clear it's behind. not what he yeah. said. And then the dissent. So, no, it wasn't you. So, there was a decision not paid. So, the ball had gone through, and he's gone, How is that not a free kick? Oh, so, that's worth another so, that's dissent. That's worth another It's dissent. Oh, you're probably asking the wrong question. Uh, you should be asking an umpire this, not not a fan who often throws a bit of dissent during games. But I think we well, I think you throw abuse, <laughs> and I think that needs to be cut out. Yes. But la- this time last week, we didn't know the difference between abuse and dissent. It's only just come out now after uh, the recent games. But it, I think we have um, gone too, a little bit too far with this. You don't want to be... You don't want to be seeing free kicks and goals given away... Um, 
for what we saw on the weekend. Um, it was an abuse. I don't think that's why this new rule or this crackdown on the rule was brought in. Um, obviously, it was for, you know, swearing and actual dissent towards an umpire. Um, but questioning whether something should have been a free kick or not or raising your hands, I don't I don't think that warrants a free kick. I think uh, it, it was a bit of a disgrace to see that, to be honest, in, in, at such a crucial moment of the game. And the fact that we see that sort of stuff happen so often um, across many other weekends of footy uh, and not getting paid for a free kick, it is, yeah, it is. It's a strange one. The, the consistency around that is is a serious issue, and uh, I mean you can't control human emotion, Gordo, and, and and natural reactions and that sort of stuff. That can't be controlled. That can't be coached. Um, so you can't expect players to be robots in the heat of battle um, and not react to little things like that. So um, yeah, you, you you don't want to be saying that. And what we suppose also don't want to be seeing is the rules going so far that then, you know, they have, they have to turn around and say, actually, dissent's okay. And then, you know, we start abusing umpires again. Because we obviously don't want that either. So is it, you said it can't control human emotion, human reaction, but is it is it that hard just to have a rule that says you can't talk to the umpires? Yes, it is. I mean, you, you, there has to be, um, there has to be, Communication between players. But and why umpires. does it have to be communication? We everyone thinks they're weirdo robots that no one likes. So let's just treat them like weirdo robots that no one likes. You just don't talk to them. You don't touch them. You don't talk to them. You don't look them in the eyes. You don't feed them after dark. You don't get them wet. Like just treat them like gremlins. So, yeah, I mean that, that, that's what they want. That's what the umpires uh, want after this weekend. They came out in their statement and they said, oh, you know, if this, if you don't talk to the umpires, this is never an issue." But it. Uh, <laughs> You can't have that. I mean, you can't have that in a game. You you have to be able to communicate. You have there has to be a level of understanding between um, players and umpires. Like if if you're confused by something, you you should have the right to be able to ask the question. I mean, isn't that just going to cause more confusion if if it, something gets called and you don't know what that calls for? But you just keep playing anyway. Yeah, well, shout out to two of our uh, good friends of, of Twitter. One is Swoop Luke, and we all love his uh, Pies content. But he was watching the, the Suns-Geelong game, and he said, uh, where's the free kick here for descent? And it's a Suns player calling for holding the ball. Yes. Then our good friend that has the ump stuffed up mm-hmm. uh, uh, has said, actually, this is a good example of what this discussion is about, of appealing versus dissenting. And so the AFL rule apparently is that if you do it before the whistle blows, that's appealing. Okay. If you do it after the whistle blows, that's dissenting. That's fair enough. So there's your, there's your natural response. You can say, um, that's holding the ball, he's kept it in, he's kept it in. As soon as the whistle goes, you got to zip it and get on with the game. It's hard. That's hard to coach. And people are going to be paying closer attention to this 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 weekend. Oh, yeah, we love that. We love it. Oh, you Mate. said something, Ref. <laughs> Mate, I'm telling you, if, as soon as a player raises his hands, people yeah. are going to want a free kick, and rightly so, because if you pay yeah. one, you've got to pay them all. The Jared Whaley rule, you know, yeah. hands in the air means 50. That's it. That's it. We don't want to say it. It's, it's a bit weird. It's uh, got way too much air time, and it's going to be really hard to uh, to umpire because, as you said, like, what, how do you about human response? And the last bit on human response I'll mention was from um, the head of umps himself, Mr. Richardson, who, who basically said that umpires are allowed a human response too. And so it was. It was talking about like the fact that you know, oh, what was said by Klinger wasn't actually that bad. Yeah. But because he'd been he'd been haggled the whole game, <laughs> it was like, well, he's allowed to be upset and then give it give away a free kick. Yeah, but then which again, is clearly like, not like not that's, it, that's not how things should be umpired. No, because then you, you don't know if you're going to catch an umpire on their good day or on their bad day. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Can, can an umpire tolerate a bit more on a on a Saturday arvo compared to a Saturday night? Every umpire is going to be different. Um, some umpires have a shorter fuse mm. than others. You, no, you can't create that grey area. Definitely kind of. Not with Razor Ray umpiring and chewing everyone's ear off as well. And then all of a sudden you've got to have a little chin wag because you had Razor Ray last week and this week you've exactly got, right. yeah. I don't know, old mate robot who doesn't want to talk to anyone and then you're giving away 50s left, right and centre. So... Tricky stuff and uh, not good for the umps because their job is already hard enough. What's also mm. hard, Nico, 
It's getting food and beverages at any football games. But that's all about to change. Yeah. You sent me this on like Monday this, and yeah. you are excited. You are so excited that you might actually go to a game at Marvel because of this new <laughs> AI technology called Just Walk Out. Marvel Stadium is rolling out the first Just Walk Out technology in the Southern Hemisphere. Experts predict supermarkets could be next. Footy fans tap their card at the entry, grab what they need and go without missing any of the action. It uses artificial intelligence to see who takes what off the shelf, automatically charging them on the way out. Cameras and sensors will also track customers' movements. Those buying alcohol will still need to show ID. Apparently, you tap your credit card at this te- at the turnstile, you walk in, you grab all the food and beverage that you want, and as so long as there's money in your account, you walk straight out and it charges your credit card. Are you excited for it, and will it make you go to a game at Marvel? I am excited for it, absolutely. It won't... I don't think it'll entice me to go to Marvel more, but when I'm at the game, it might entice me to get up off my seat and go get some food. Yeah. I mean, half time, we know how crazy those lines can be is um, at the bar and at the food store. So, um, yeah, if there was a quicker way of going in, walking out with your beer and hot chips, then, yeah, absolutely. You'd probably, um, they, they might make a bit of money off this because more people will be willing to get up off their seat and go. And if they were really, because obviously, you know, with, with these uh, AI technologies, you don't need checkout people, you don't need tellers, you don't, so you're, you're saving some money there if you're Marvel Stadium or the vendors. And so hopefully those savings are also passed on to, uh, you know, the fans themselves who are getting the said chips and drinks, um, you know, for one, two, group of a family, like whatever. So fingers crossed it flows down, but history suggests it probably doesn't. And speaking of cash, the last big talking point was uh, about the coaches and do they deserve their cash? And so it happened last year when Brett Ratton was sacked and he became the first coach to have his six-month payout clause enacted. He uh, Mid-year, he had been re-signed by St Kilda for an extension and then obviously Ross the Boss came out of the uh, the shadows and said, I don't know, oh, let's take this back to 2010. And they said, absolutely, and they gave Ratton the flick. And instead of giving his full payout, he only got six months of payout. And obviously this year, Hinkley is coming to the end of his contract, so not really relevant for him. Yeah. Um, but Bevo obviously re-signed at the start of the year. But because now you can fire coaches, you know, and only pay them for six months, it's becoming more financially viable for a club to do so. And obviously the chit-chat around you know, is Bevo's job on the line starts much, much earlier, despite him re-signing. Do you think that this is a good thing or a bad thing for coaches and clubs? And are we tiptoeing our way ever so slightly towards the uh, European football model of, oh, we've lost three on the trot, let's get rid of the coach? Um, yeah, I, I think we are. But even with European football, I think contracts are more and more becoming meaningless. Like you can sign a five-year deal, that, that won't mean anything. But at least I, I, I think, I'm pretty sure they get paid out anyway. If you sign that contract, you should be getting paid mm. out. But this is the opposite. You don't exactly. get the payout. Which is, which is rubbish. And this is why I hate contracts. Even when you, you sign up to a gym or you, you tie yourself down to a mobile phone company um, for your phone contract. Yeah. It only suits one party. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, I think when you sign a contract, it, both parties need to honor that. And um, yeah, obviously... It, it's it's easier for clubs here, but for coaches, they, they signed up they signed up for two years, three years, whatever. They should be guaranteed that money, whether they get sacked or not. We'll be back after a quick break. Hard to hard to disagree, and I suppose what does it mean for Bevo? Do you think is he under the gun, or are the doggies going to stick fat? I think they'll stick fat for a few more weeks. I don't think any coach would get sacked after round three or four, but um, 
I, I think um, we'll, we'll be talking about Port Adelaide soon in a second. But, yeah, Bevo, Hinkley, they're the ones really under the knife at the moment. And I think they'll be given at least until round 10 to see where they're at. Uh, yeah. it, it's very early. It's been a rough start to the season. Um, but, yeah, it'd be very harsh to be letting them go this early. And speaking of harsh, we like to make harsh decisions about football clubs because we're fans. That's what we do. We come into work and we rip into our friends who bang for a different club who's had a savage loss on the weekend. Unfortunately, I was at the brunt of that after a loss to Collingwood uh, last last weekend. But welcome to the Club Exchange, our buy, hold and sell. So we do this probably once a month. Not going to overreact to week on week results. We're looking at trends. We're looking at form lines. We're looking at the stats. We're looking at our vibes and our fans' eye view. But we're going to break down some clubs that we want to buy, want to sell, and want to hold on for even more information. And uh, we'll get rid of the negatives first. But who are you giving up on after round three? We don't sack coaches after round three, but we no. do bring out the red pen. We do. And we, and we put a line for them. So yeah. who are you selling off the stocks of this early in the season? Surprise, surprise, it's Port Adelaide. Well, that is not surprising at all. I mean, I didn't even have them in my top eight at the start of the season, but... Um, just the way they've started have, have really disappointed me. I, I said it last week that that loss to Collingwood, um, I had it down as a one one off for Port Adelaide. It was a bad day at the office. I expected them to come out in the showdown, home crowd, and and put in a good performance, get the four points. Uh, we'd we'd expect Port Adelaide to be a better team than the Crows. Um, but they didn't do that. It was a really disappointing effort. It was a close game up until, you know, five minutes into the into the fourth quarter when the Crows really started to get a hold of the contest. But the, the whole preseason hype, Gordon, around how good this Port Adelaide midfield is going to be with the experience of Boak, Wines, a, um, a Brownlow medalist, the um, introduction of Jason Horn-Francis, throwing rosy butters like this is an elite midfield Kane Corns has been talking about it all summer um but you know going up against a Crows midfield which is still a work in progress you don't expect to see Port get smashed in contested footy and inside 50s the way they did on Saturday night it was a really disappointing effort um, there were a couple of um, clips highlighted during the week of a couple of efforts from Boak and Horn Francis again. Um, I know he's only three games into his career at Port Adelaide. Um, but, yeah, I think you've got to be doing better, especially on a showdown. Um, yeah, you, you, can't be, you can't be getting away that, with that sort of stuff. So I, I really don't know where Port Adelaide are at at the moment. Um, I'd be concerned if I was a Port fan, I think a lot of them are concerned. A um, couple of maybe a couple of overreactions, really. And uh, we did see Warren Treadray come out during the week um, and have his say. So let's have a listen to that. And I just look for where Ken Hinckley sits, where he's been there 10 years. He's contracted through to the end of the year. And it, for me, it just looks, albeit round three, it just looks untenable. When they've got Sydney and Sydney followed by the Bulldogs and gather round at home, there's an element of the fans where it's going to start to bite Port Adelaide in the hip pocket if they don't seriously consider where they're going. So that was Treadray, and then this was the tweet. Too good Adelaide and too tough when it mattered. Great win. Some talk the talk while others walk the walk. Hashtag showdown. So, yeah, I, I don't think he's wrong. I don't think he's wrong by saying Hinkley's position is untenable. Um, again, like I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, if the if the poor, if poor power get to round 10, Sitting outside the top eight, I reckon he, his position will be in trouble. Because, again, I think if you spoke to a lot of Port Adelaide fans at the start of the season, they were expecting top eight. But do you think that was uh, like a valid expectation, though? I, I think so. I think so. They, they gave up a lot um, in the offseason to bring Horn Francis in. They brought in Willie Rioli. Um, I, I think they've got a team on paper that that is has the potential to finish top eight, really given how um, close it was last season to to make the eight. And, you know, I thought Port did improve their list in the offseason. A couple of plays got better, uh, if you look at Rosie. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's 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 fair to say they, sh- they should be in the top eight this year. But, yeah, if we get to round 10 and they're playing similar footy to what we saw on the weekend, I mean, Hinkley's, Hinkley's job will be in trouble. He's been there long enough. 
Hmm. He's been there long enough, and he is probably in that awkward uh, section where they're, they're not old yet. They're not, yeah, definitely not in that older ranking of list demographics, but they are starting to skew a bit older. And where, where you think, you know, efforts and things like that, like those standards should be ingrained by now. And he's been there the whole time. So the, the players that he've had there have gone on a bit of a three, four year journey with him. Clearly, that hasn't embedded in them because they don't have those consistencies each week. Like super young teams like Sydney already have that bedded in. Like there's never really a week. Yes, they got they got smashed by Melbourne on the weekend, but it wasn't because of their standards, because, you know, of their skill sets. And I think yeah, you can get beaten on skill set because you just have the players or you don't. You have the development or you don't. Mm. When you're getting beaten on standards, and that's what seems to happen at Port, that's a that's a far, far worse experience. However, the flip side here is the team I'm going to buy is Adelaide because you look at it and this has been the conversation about Adelaide. It's like they've got pieces here. They've got mm. nice players. Yeah, I wonder if they can tweak a couple of things to really get me excited about them, and they've done that. So the two parts they really dominated was midfield mix and more aggression with their ball movement, and that's basically what like, they were. Their midfield mix allowed them to compete throughout those three quarters against Port and their exciting midfield on paper, mm-hmm. and then their aggressive ball movement really held Port Adelaide accountable until the point where they basically ran out of gas and then Adelaide overran them in the back half of that, that final quarter. So that's that's been building towards that you know week on week for the first three weeks, but also year on year for the last couple of seasons where they've had some big wins. I remember last year against the Blues at home, you know, games where you go, oh, I can't believe they lost to Adelaide, and now going to be like, oh, Adelaide's are definitely a chance. Um, any any game of the week. And so, like, you think about the last, yeah, well, they've had games against GWS and Richmond. They've both, both those games, they showed that they're, if they played four quarters of football, that'd be more than good enough. And they finally did it against Port in a showdown. What better way to announce yourself that this is your building year? Will they play finals? Way too early to tell. And they probably don't need to this year, but they're definitely going to rise at the ladder and be in that, you know, 12 to 8 section by the come the end of the season yeah i really like what i'm seeing from adelaide too as well um you know me gorda i really like a good forward line and they are piecing together a really potent one that i think is going to stack up for the next five to eight years or whatever but like darcy fogarty is such a gun but he he went out of the side Thilthorpe comes in kicks five straight and he's still so young he, his potential is through the roof they bring in isaac rankin kicks four on the weekend um and he starts at the season has been really positive they've recruited so well uh, Dawson as well but um, Rochelle has been so dangerous and uh, has been a really good player this season as well he's taken the next step Pedler three goals on the weekend and then you throw in you know guys like Tex Walker as well for that bit of experience but you know when you're building a premiership team having a forward line mix um, like that the, the talls the smalls the pressure forwards um, you're already halfway there to building a premiership team and they've recruited so well drafted really um, intelligently so yeah props to them and definitely a team I'd be buying there we go so there's our buyers what teams are we confused about which is the team that you can't quite get a read on uh, ooh, I mean is this a team that we're holding yes <laughs> probably the Swans yeah I'm going to have to say the Swans uh, look we know that they're a quality team and all that. Obviously, grand finalists last season. Um, their first two rounds of the season, they blew the, the weaker teams away, Hawthorne, Gold Coast. Um, and then they have their re- first real challenge of the year going up against Melbourne um, at the MCG. Tough place to go to play the Ds. And obviously, the, the Swans failed. Uh, a 50-point loss. Never really looked in the game. I don't think it's worth overreacting about it though. I still think the Swans are quality. They're obviously going to make finals, could even make top four. Um, but yeah, before I, before I jump off them, I want to, I want to see a bit more from them. They've got Port Adelaide to come this week at home. Then they've got Richmond, Geelong, GWS in that Sydney Derby. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll give them a few more weeks to see where they're really at. Uh, a lot of people expected them to drop off uh, this year. They thought they maybe overachieved a bit last year with that young list. But, um, yeah, I think we'll be in the right position to judge them maybe after round eight or so. Yeah, uh, I suppose they are still super, super young. And so, I don't know. We've seen this a couple of times when teams rise up to the ranks out in the GOS and they got smashed by Richmond and, you know, and the wheels fell off for a couple of years. Is the same thing going to happen to Sydney? Do we actually do we really think that? I, you know, 
Longman is much much better coach with much better credentials than uh, Leon Cameron ever was, and you know Sydney is just that proud club that has something actually behind it and, mm. and enough history behind it that can you can pull in different personnel to say no this is the this is the blood culture the culture well, yeah. like whatever that's yeah. worth but I I just think they got so much more development to come that even if it is a rough start to the season maybe they don't finish top four this year but they don't doesn't that's not ruin their development they're gonna yeah. Yeah, be, oh, end up being yeah. the next Port Adelaide. For anything I agree. Like, like you look at guys like Goulden and Warner, Blakey, um, they're all in their early 20s. So even if this season doesn't go to plan for them, I mean, the, these guys aren't expected to peak until they're about 26, which is like four, five years away for some of these guys. Um, the way their list is set up now, they are set up for success for a very long time. Um, and like you said, John John Longmire, he's been there for a while, but he's such a good coach. He's got a good track record. He gets the grand finals. He's already delivered them a premiership. Um, I think they're in good hands, the Swans. Absolutely. The team I'm going to hold on to and probably hold on for too long because, you know, it's, it, yeah. they, are, they are apparently. Interesting. I don't know if anyone's heard about this this week, but they're zero and three and it's Geelong. <laughs> and, uh, Bottom of the ladder. I'm holding on to them because, uh, you know, four games ago they, they won a premiership mm. uh, and they did it with a team that was too old, too slow, you know, too good. So, yes, who have they played already this season? Well, they played, they played Collingwood who are the yes. benchmark of the competition. Carlton. They played Carlton, who was meant to be a top four side. Correct. And they played the Suns and, you know, the Suns lost inexcusable, but also Suns at home. Suns um, are eventually meant to be half decent at home, you'd hope. Yes. And, you know, was that the Suns being half decent or Geelong being well off the boil? Probably the latter more than the former. But mm-hmm. then let's look at their, you know, their fixture coming up now. So they got Hawthorne at the MCG, West Coast in Adelaide for the gather round, Sydney at Cadinia, Essendon at the MCG, Adelaide at Cadinia, Richmond at the MCG, and then Frio at Optus. In the next uh, six rounds, no, that's seven rounds, in fact, they have one legitimate away game. Mm. They play one team that is like a bona fide top eight side, maybe yeah. two with Fremantle. Yeah. You know, so they go five and two potentially. Sydney will be tough at home, but it's at home. You know, gather around, throw some in- interesting mixes, and Frio at home, if they're anywhere near top form, will be challenging. You say they go five and two, and all of a sudden they're five and five, and the rest of the year is in front of them. Yeah. So why wouldn't you hold on to Geelong? It's a good point. But what are you holding on to them for? Do you think they'll still win the premiership? Do you still think they're a genuine chance for the premiership or are you holding on to them for finals? Well, I bought into them early early doors and so in terms of like the finances, I've got to hold on to them to make money back before yep. I sell them off for what they were worth at the start of the year. But I just don't – I don't – like are they the premiership favourites? Absolutely not. But yeah. how often is the premiership favourite round three the actual premier? Mm. Not very often. Mm. Yeah. And there's enough – Talent in that list still that suggests that they will they will be around about like are they gonna, are they gonna miss the they eight? Will be. Are they no, gonna miss the eight? No, I, I'm not going with the Cane Corns take here like yeah. you did during the week saying they'll miss the eight. I, I think they'll make finals because, like you said, they'll play games at home. They'll win. Yeah, um, they'll win enough games at the MCG Marvel Stadium to make finals. Which, there's, no, there's no doubt. Which about teams that. are like legitimately better than Geelong every every yes. given Saturday? Yes. It's like no, three, I'm, four. I'm expecting them to make finals. Yeah. But, I mean, there has been a bit of talk during the week about their off-season and the loss of Joel Selwood. How much of an impact has Joel Selwood made? Hmm. And they brought in a few guys, Henry, Bruin, um, Bowes, their draft pick, still yet to play. Um, but, look, do these guys know the Geelong way yet? Hawkins has had an interrupted start to the season, which isn't ideal. Um, Paddy Dangerfield, obviously in his twilight years. Same with Hawkins. DeConing's injured. They've had they've had a few injury troubles, and you know on, on the back of winning the premiership last year, I said this at the start of the season. Where where is that desire going to be to win another flag, to go again? Last year was such a fairy tale ending for them. They would have been so satisfied with themselves, and rightly so. They, they come out of that grand final win. They let let loose a little bit. And this was spoken about during the week. Um, I think it was on SEN uh, on the Kane Corns show or maybe Sam McClure, I can't remember. Um, no, Kane Corns. McClure's with 3AW, sorry. Uh, but, yeah, Luke Hodge commented on it saying, yeah, the same thing happened with Hawthorne. You, 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 
you're more inclined to have that extra beer in the off season after winning that premiership or an extra slice of pizza yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And that, that definitely would have happened with Geelong um, because just the way um, the last, the previous 10 years before winning the flag last year, they, they got close so many times. The pressure was building. It would have been such a relief for them winning that flag. So I think there is a bit of a hangover there. I don't think they'll win the premiership, but uh, they, they should at least make finals. If the hangover is literally just a hangover, like, you know, we partied too hard in the off-season and, you know, we're not quite there yet, mm-hmm. I am far less concerned than if the hangover is we've worked out how to beat Geelong. If every coach says being like, oh, we've actually worked out how to beat you and you're playing your best and you're losing, mm. then I'm far more concerned. But they're not playing anywhere near their best and, you know, they're losing, which is not great. So they've got room for improvement as I said, I don't think I'm not that worried yet because yeah, that's that's the difference. If you know you got more to give, then you know there's room for improvement. Yes. If there's room for improvement, I'm going to hold on to them until proven otherwise. But who knows? I might lose a lot of money on Geelong this year. This rate <laughs> on this uh, this pretend little stock market. Can uh, they go zero and four? Oh, of course they can go zero and four. They can go they can go zero and twenty three. Like any team, is, <laughs> anything is possible. But will they? We'll have to wait for the previews in a couple of minutes' time. Yes. Uh, two more little bits here. We'll get into your positivity. Who are you buying? Yes, I've got the D's. What a hot take! What an absolute hot take! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's an easy one this week, but. Yeah, they, they, they just look too good. And the reason I bring up the Ds is because, you know, obviously with Max gone out, their inspirational leader, I thought they bounced back really strongly. This is what Melbourne supporters would have wanted to see. Um, obviously, with the, the Grundy and Gorn uh, combination, probably didn't work as well as what they thought it would in the opening two weeks, despite looking pretty good as a team, especially in round one. But... Um, yeah, this is this is this is the perks of having two good Ruckman. One goes down for, you know, a month or two. You still got Brody Grundy who steps in and has an enormous game, um, back to his best almost, playing as that sole ruckman. So, mm. there, it, and it goes across all the field uh, for Melbourne with this depth. I mean, um, Tom McDonald obviously wasn't in the team, but um, they debut Van Ruin, who comes in and kicks three goals on debut. They also have uh, their top drafty from last year. Um, Matthew Jefferson, who kicked four in the VFL. Um, so they've just got players. Kyle Chandler as well, new player for the Ds this year. He comes in and he's already made such an impact for them. I think he also kicked three on the weekend. They've just got so much depth. And it, I, I always say, if you if you want to judge how good, how good of a position a club is in at the moment, you look at their VFL side and their VFL side has won by 50 points in their opening two games of the season. And they've got guys like Tom McDonald playing in there, Dunstan, Tomlinson, um, AFL quality players that would get games at any other AFL club right now. So they are in a prime position uh, to really obviously go for the flag this year. I reckon it's them and Collingwood. They're, they're really at the top of the tree right now that are, um, looking like premiership fancies. Yes, and it is only round three, so we take it all with a grain of salt because my selling team, maybe I'm selling them too early given they're playing tonight, but it's uh, Brisbane. Mm. Shout out to one of our, probably our number one listener, Dario, with his Dario Digest. He's given us a couple of uh, written tidbits, a little change of the medium, but he's basically asked us, is Brisbane overrated? And uh, my answer is, is yes. And it's yes for a reason. And it's yes because so early in the season you're still playing what most coaches would consider their their type A football or if you're David King, your brand. You know what your brand is. You've practiced your brand all season, all preseason. You come out in the first three weeks and you just nail plan A. Brisbane doesn't have a plan A, it doesn't seem like, because the first first round they get they get challenged by by the def, by their ball movement. Round two, round three, they get challenged again by the defense. It's yes. like what which way are they going to win and lose? They don't seem to know. It flip-flops each time. You know, Chris Fagan's come out and given them a mulligan and they bounce back and win week two and then week three they get done again. There's there's no consistency in style. There's no consistency in ball movement. There's no consistency in, you know, player expectations and standards. So, and it's so early in the season for a team that's meant to be top four. Like, if you know, if this is not even like North Melbourne or Hawthorne. They, they still yeah. rock up and play the same way the first three weeks of the year. Yeah. This is this is like no other team really in the AFL at the moment. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, they, they just look a bit disjointed. I think uh, obviously Danaher has been highlighted during the week with a bit of selfish play. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that because I've, I've always had my doubts with with Hipwood and Danaher being working in the same forward line together. I, I don't think they're A-grade forwards. I don't think they ever will be A-grade. I mean, Danaher's got the potential, don't get me wrong. He always has. Same with Hipwood. Knee injury holds him back a little bit, which is fair enough. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, but at the start of the season, when I said Brisbane are my premiership favourites, I thought Gunston was going in that team to be the third tall and to offer a little bit of support to the two big guys, help with a bit of the consistency, straight goal kicking, a bit of experience that they needed. And at the moment, it, it feels like Gunston is just holding up that forward line right now. And it's Danaher and Hipwood who are just taking the ride. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I personally wouldn't be selling Brisbane right now. I still think they've got a good enough team to win a premiership. They just have to work out uh, their system. And, uh, I mean, they've got such a strong forward line as well. They, yeah, they just need to work it out, learn, build that chemistry together. I still think they've got a little bit way to go, but um, I think we'll find out more tonight against Collingwood hottest team in the AFL right now and maybe over the next few weeks to see if Brisbane can gradually work themselves back into this season. Yeah, and, you know, to be honest, they should be able to if they if they can find their form, depending on how bad tonight's result goes against the Pies because then they cop north at home. Oh, sorry, north for the gather round. So, you know, that you know neutral ground aids north there. They play the Giants away. Again, that's a 50-50. Depends on which Giants show up. Yeah. Dockers at the Gabba, you'd give them the win there. Carlton away and then Essendon at the Gabba. So, you know, games that if they were at their best, Brisbane suddenly becomes a tip and forget. But because they're nowhere near their best, it becomes a very tough six-week stretch. And uh, mm. that's, why, that's why I'm selling them. Speaking of difficult things to predict, it's an Easter weekend extravaganza. It is. Sometimes we break it down into the watchables and then rapid fire through the unwatchables. But as we mentioned, the footy's spread out, so we'll be watching every game or at least paying attention to it in the Footy Live app. And so we'll do a rapid fire preview for every game. Maybe it'll be in depth. Who knows? We'll see how we're feeling. Thursday night is tonight. Brisbane's playing Collingwood at the Gabba. We've just talked a lot about the Lions. We sold them. Nicky's mm. holding on to them. But, of course, everyone's talking about them pies here. We know we're, we, our office is right next door to the MCG. There's a fair few Collingwood fans, and obviously there's a Collingwood expat that used to be our boss who'd be very happy right now. And uh, how good are the pies, and can they go up to the Gabba and continue this domination? I think they can. I think they will. I, I'm really liking the way Collingwood's playing at the moment. I don't think this is a fluke, this start of the season. It's not like they're just waving, uh, sorry, riding <laughs> this wave of momentum, which they they are in a way, but they're, they're, they've got a system and a structure to it as well. And what I really like about them this season is not just their attack and their ball movement and their killer instinct uh, when they go forward, but it's their defense, the way they set up behind the ball. I think you've spoken about it um, in previous weeks as well. But I saw it firsthand. I was actually at the game on Friday night, Richmond Collingwood, um, and I saw it firsthand just how hard they work to help each other in that defense. Maynard, Moore, uh, Murphy as well. They, they actually peel off their man, leave their men open just to get um, to another contest to help with a spoil or a mark, help their teammates out. Very often do you see uh, Collingwood defenders stuck in a one-on-one because the, it's, it's just how hard their defense works to help each other out. They're, they're a selfless team, and that is premiership material for me. And the way Brisbane have been working in these first few weeks, we obviously spoke about them a lot just then. I think they've been a bit selfish going forward. Spoke about Danaher. So selfish forward line versus unselfish defense. Which one's going to win? If nothing changes tonight, I think, the Collingwood's get, I think Collingwood gets up. And the other thing that Collingwood's added to their bow is this contested ball. Because as you mentioned there, there's lots of structure. Mm. And in the Nathan Buckley era, I think a lot of it was because of deficiencies of, of depth throughout throughout the team. They're not Melbourne, and they still aren't really no. now. They're not a Melbourne squad that has two AFL lists, like two AFL teams playing in two different competitions. And basically anyone gets injured, you just replace it with the next identical yep. third person and, mm. and play the same footy. They're mm. not that. Um, gifted when it comes to their list. Their list is very good. They've got some great players, but the, the depth isn't quite there. And so it used to be 
based solely on structure. Now they're winning stoppages, they're winning contested ball. Like yep. they're up there with the Melbournes of of the world in in that aspect of of like pure talent, ferocity based stuff. And then they also can layer on you know great ball movement now when they take aggressive kicks and they have the freedom going forward to, to do that but then they also have the discipline as you mentioned just then to have the structure as well and so they're, they're, they're awesome at all three important parts of footy and they've been doing that for three weeks in a row now and if they just keep doing it then you know yep. adds to the confidence you can you can be more adventurous if you know that your you know structures help aid that mm-hmm. and if you're winning the ball at the source then life becomes incredibly easy uh, to win games of footy so there's no reason there's no reason why they shouldn't win any ground, any place, any weather conditions. They did it last week against Richmond. Terrible yes. weather conditions for footy, for clean footy, for exciting football. And they still got it done. And Brisbane are in a massive slump. So um, we're obviously both tipping the pies. Correct. Uh, speaking of uh, tipping, for the Thursday and Friday night games, our good friends at Sports Bet uh, are giving you some insurance for your same game multis, and I'll be giving you one for tonight's game and one for Friday's game. Uh, if any of your legs miss, you can get your money back up to 50 bucks with a bonus bet. Um, however, always remember to gamble responsibly and think about what else you could be spending that money on. Some stats to back up my multi. Scott Penelbury averages 25 disposals and 353 metres gained and two score assists from 18 career games at the Gabba. He goes to the Gabba, he gets lead poisoning. Joe <laughs> Danaher was goalless against the Dogs for the first time in his career last week. Usually loves kicking goals against the Dogs. Mm. I reckon he bounces back. He has kicked three goals in each of his last four appearances against Collingwood. Loves the big stage. And each of Brisbane's last five matches, the highest scoring half has been the second. So, second half, the highest scoring half. Danaher to kick three or more and Scott Penelbury to get 25 touches or more, paying $13.25. Don't need to pick a result, but obviously if you're keen on Collingwood, well, then Denner probably doesn't kick three. So ruins my multi, but uh, you can swap that in for, for Collingwood to win if that's more of your approach. Friday night, or twilight, technically speaking, 4.20 on Good Friday. North Melbourne, Carlton, will we finally get some good footy on Good Friday? I hope so, Gordo. Or will um, we actually? Will we actually? <laughs> I don't think we can expect it. And, and what what what's a shame is that um, obviously when you're going up against Carlton, their forward line, their two pillars up there, uh, Harry Mackay and Charlie Kerno, they're the ones that you need to stop. And North Melbourne uh, don't have that because Griffin Lowe gets suspended for this week, and also Ben Mackay um, is is still injured, um, which is. Another point, uh, we have not seen Ben Mackay and Harry Mackay play against each other for, what, eight years now? Yeah. They are the same person. <laughs> it's the only explanation. I, I I was just going along with the joke the last few times, but I genuinely think that they are the same person. But it's going to be too hard for uh, North to stop that Carlton forward line without any real key defender back there. So unless Clarko has something up his sleeve, um, yeah. it's really hard to see um, North really making a game of this but hey a big crowd Carlton on a roll it'll still be good to watch don't know if it'd be good to watch if Carl goes on a roll because it'd just be Carlton (laughs) with one way of footy traffic Um, what's a good result here for North so all of North's, I suppose, brand, to still that uh, David King term, is uh, just hardness. Classic mm. Alistair Clarkson standards. Yes. They've won the hardball differential by five per game. That's ranked fourth, up from last last year. So they're going to have a crack. Yep. Is that enough for the Roos? Are, are, are Roos fans just, are they willing to schlep their way to Marvel Stadium on Good Friday with the public Public yeah. transport timetable, overcrowded trans and trains, and all like traffic jams trying to get across town with the long weekend traffic yeah. to watch their team give a crack, but get done by forty points. I mean, yes, you're right. They, I know every team loves to win and would want to win going into a game, but North more than ever would want to win this one because the the whole Friday, the Good Friday fixture, they've been questioned about it. Do they deserve it? Um, it would be sweet for North fans to shut the footy public up and say, hey, we knocked Carlton off. It was a classic game of footy, goal in it, whatever. But um, I think, you know, what we can expect, uh, I mean, what, what would be a pass? I guess maybe if they're in the contest for 
half, three quarters of, of the game. We want, we want it to be close uh, going into the last few stages. If it gets blown out by 40, so be it. But at least if they can put up a fight for half or three quarters of the game, it, it's a pass for me. We just don't want Carlton to blow out to a 30, 40 point lead at quarter time mm. and that's the game done. That would be worst case scenario. Because that's could have what happened last week. You know, they kicked nine goals, 20. So yes. chances are they're going to get another 61 entries. They went at 48% efficiency last week. They'll probably maintain that. And they're probably going to hopefully get a little bit above the 31% accuracy in front of the old, the old sticks. So mm. danger signs there for North. Um, and we definitely don't want to see another, like, 9, 10, 9, 20 either. So, like, you know. Yeah. We want to see some high-quality football. We're very fit, we're very fussy, but you know, this, is a, this is a public holiday fixture. So that's what you get. You get given the big time slot. You get given the big results. So we're obviously tipping Carlton. And as I mentioned here, friends at Sportsbet have their insurance. So I'll give you our same-game multi to maybe keep it interesting. Um, I've kept it all fairly first half because, you know, chances are this might be over at halftime. So Carlton have covered the line in each of their last five matches. I reckon they cover the line easily. Yes, it's uh, just over four goals, but I reckon Carlton are comfortably five-goal better team than North. Mm. Uh, Carlton has won the first half in 12 of its last 13 matches at Marvel. Like the fast track, they get out quick. They'll do the same here. Uh, Paddy Cripps has recorded 34 disposals in each of Carlton's last three matches as a favourite. And he's finished with 35 disposals last time he met the Roos in round seven last year. So I'm going to take him to get 30. He's got a nice five disposal buffer there. And for no reason at all other than he had an absolute stinker last week, Harry McCoy will kick the first goal. Mm. Roll all that together and he kick, uh, you yourself $19.50 odds. And then we'll crack on with the rest of the weekend. Adelaide is hosting Fremantle, of course, at the Adelaide Oval. The yeah. super exciting, freshly bought Adelaide Crows. Yes. My, obviously, my new favourite second team. It changes each week <laughs> against my previous favourite second team, Fremantle, who yes. have forgotten how to play football altogether except for defending really strongly and being gifted uh, a derby win when West Coast just keeps on getting themselves injured. Yes. Yeah. No, this is a big week for the Dockers. Uh, big test for them going away against Adelaide, where they actually won last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, this is, it's a, it's a big, obviously they got their season off on the right foot last week, beating West Coast after a couple of rough weeks to start the season. Um, yeah. This is, this is, it's going to be tough for them because, like you mentioned, defense uh, is obviously their strength, uh, but scoring, not so much. So when you're going up against a free-flowing, attacking Adelaide outfit with their forward line, A, can Fremantle uh, keep them down? B, can they keep up with them with the scoring, especially away from home? I don't think so. Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, the big stat here is that Adelaide has scored 46 points per game from clearances. Yep. And so Frio, you know, was touted as building this dynamic midfield rotation. It's kind of petered out. Yes. To start this season. Again, last week, aberration, not really taking that into account. So that could be scary to see how many points that Adelaide can pile on from clearances uh, on the weekend. And then the big stat for mine I don't mind defensive teams. Like Ross Lyon, and we'll get to this in Kilda in a moment, but he's as a rebound. Like let's mm. let's park the bus and then let's get into the express lane and go coast to coast as quickly as possible. Yeah. Uh, I've been working on my car analogies. You'd be really glad to know. <laughs> uh, the Dockers just love a traffic jam. They've kicked backwards, 42 backwards kicks this season, already the second most in the league. Yeah. They are playing like, like a North Melbourne, like a team that doesn't trust their list, yeah. even though the list yeah. is quite good. Mm. And they've shown us that... When they want to, they can go forward and they can do it quickly and they can get in the express lane like everyone else. Yeah. But they don't do it. So if they're going to play slow, defensive, kick it around football for absolutely no reason against Adelaide, they're going to lose points. They're going to turn over. And, uh, yeah, I'll be tipping Adelaide just like you are. Saturday Twilight, maybe one of the most important games of the weekend, Richmond versus the Western Bulldogs. Uh, you know, the pressure's on the doggies. It is. And the pressure's on the Tigers because the Tigers are always under pressure now because they have very high standards, yep. lofty standards. Three premierships does that. Uh, what are you expecting of this game considering a fair few ins for the Tigers? Yes, very crucial ins, ones that they missed last week against the Pies. But, yeah, I've got, I've got Richmond and the Bulldogs in the same category this season, just teams that we just haven't been able to figure out yet. Can uh, Are the Tigers actually premiership contenders some people still have them there some people don't 
I'm like halfway in between. I'm like, they can be, um, but we just haven't really seen that um, killer instinct football that won them all those premierships a few years ago. So obviously going up against the Bulldogs, who will take a lot of confidence out of last week, obviously their first win of the season. Um, it all just started to click for them a little bit. So can they continue that on? So many questions need to be answered. I think we'll be learning a lot from this game, actually about each team. MCG as well. Richmond probably being favoured at yeah, the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Richmond also being favoured because I did mention last week and it did come off if you are, anyone paid attention that Bevo loves to play, uh, you know, the emotion card. Mm. Yeah, you know, obviously we know backs against the wall, print out the newspaper clippings, put it up on the uh, the whiteboard, bash your fist, you know, big red pen out, do all that stuff. It only works once though. And a big emotional input equals a big emotional uh, hangover. And so they could be very flat. I'm afraid they might be very flat. Um, and they also haven't been that good. The Bulldogs have won just three quarters this season. Yeah. That's it. They, yeah. haven't been, they haven't been consistent and they haven't been that good. So... The only thing that concerns me about Richmond is I said after round one, surely their forward line can't be this uh, ineffective inside 50 going forward. Uh, They still are. They have an average inside 50 efficiency of 35%. It's ranked last in the league. So maybe it is that bad and it will stay that bad all year, in which case this will make for some very confusing games because they've got some great numbers getting the ball inside 50. They've got some great numbers taking marks inside 50. Everything you want to happen before you try and kick it at the goals uh, is happening and then they try that and it doesn't work. So um, they'll be an enigma. Both these teams will be, but I'll be tipping Richmond because uh, they're my team and Hopper and Martin are back. And if it does go that way, if Richmond do win, I think the pressure will... I mean, the pressure's already on Luke Beveridge, but it it will grow after this week. If If you lose poorly to the Tigers... And then next week, I think then obviously they're traveling to Adelaide, but they're playing Port, um, which is a home game for Port Adelaide, obviously. And then after that, they're traveling to Perth to play Frio. So, and all of a sudden, they've lost four on the trot, and then they're facing uh, yes. the Hawks at Marvel. Nico will be down there getting <laughs> his AI uh, speed express lane chips oh, and we? beer at yes. halftime. Absolutely. And uh, they'll, be, they'll be gearing up for a big upset win, and uh, that will be the, co- the nail in the coffin for Bevo, and he'll only Could get be. six months' payout. It'll be, there's, your, there's your hot take for the, for the episode. But uh, obviously, yep. reining it back into this weekend, we're tipping Richmond. Saturday night is looking all right because. Actually, my second favourite team of the year, St Kilda. Yes. And that, is, that can't be denied. I've, I've given a lot of love to Ross the boss. <laughs> yeah, they're welcoming Gold Coast to Marvel Stadium. Yeah. Come come hither. We're going to be in the middle of a monsoon by that stage, but luckily, I th- hopefully, the roof will be closed. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. I haven't checked the weather forecast. Uh, it's but... wet, 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 wet. There you go. Um, oh, all weekend in Melbourne, that is. Yes. I don't know the rest of the states. My apologies. Uh, does Ross the boss continue the magic, or are you still going to be a hater? Um... Again, they, they're going to beat Gold Coast. They're going to go 4-0. There's no doubt about that. Gold Coast aren't going to be much of a threat to stopping this run. But I, even even if they win by 100 points, St. Kilda, I'm not going to be buying into them. Because last year, I bought into them when they were 5-1. and one Yes, After round six. I bought into them. I said, these guys look mature. They, they look ready for, for a premiership run. And then after that, went straight down. Mm, and but... But it wasn't built on defence, was it? Jeez, oh, yeah. St Kilda have conceded 167 points so far this year. That is their best defensive effort in terms of points conceded since when? The 2010. Line, line days, yes. 2010 yeah. when they considered 168 over that period. So this team is just as good defensively as the best St Kilda team ever. Although they didn't <laughs> win a premiership. And then more interestingly, I think... You know, they've won the ground ball differential. They, they just getting the standards are far back because we used to see St Kilda teams. They'd be un, like they just be soft. You know, this yeah. is a team that plays under the roof. They can only play fair with a the football. They'll yeah. bash up a team if they don't turn up, and they did bash up Richmond a couple of times. Um, but they never did the hard stuff. But they're yeah. doing that now. They're up. They're outscoring from intercept possessions. They're outscoring from clearances. It's all working quite well. Well, their, their defense, so, their defense won't be put to the test really this week. It's fair to say, but. Gordon, next week, St Kilda Collingwood in Adelaide, which is a shame, really, that Mm. it's in Adelaide. And then after that, they play Carlton. Mm -hmm. Two big weeks. If they get through those, their defence holding up and coming away with the four points in both of them, or at least in one of them, Mm -hmm. 
I'll, I will trust the same. Well, there's a reason why I didn't buy a Sinclair that week, and that's because I did have a look at the fixture and went, well, let's just call the Jets, but we'll take the win against the Suns. Yes. Saturday night, the other game that you might be watching that might be more interesting than uh, St Kilda boring us with the Suns is Sydney versus Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide's under the pump. So are yep. Sydney, two teams that need to bounce back. Um, so what's our vibes here? Obviously, we're playing this one in Sydney. Uh, can Port cause an upset or is it back to the uh, mm. you know, home ground advantage for the Swans and they just roll their sleeves and get it done against a the team they should? Yes, exactly that. You, you summed it up pretty well for me. SCG, uh, this is a game Sydney should win. Uh, they're expected to win. I think they're a good enough team to win. Um, they'll bounce back. They're a proud, proud team. We talk about their culture. But Port Adelaide's... I mean, yeah, from a Port Adelaide perspective, you're expecting some sort of response. After a week getting bashed in the media, the last couple of performances, they need to show something. Um, so that's what, why I'll be tuning in. I'll be intrigued to see what Port Adelaide do to respond. Um, if they don't, if they go down by 40, 50 points, Hinkley will be in hot water, mate. If he's uh, not absolutely. already. Well, he's definitely in, in, the, he's in the hot water, but the water's yeah. not boiling just yet. <laughs> Two big uh, metrics support that stick out like a sore thumb. So they've lost the contested possession count by 15 per game this so far this year, ranked 17th. So they just get smashed at the source. Sydney loves to win it at the source. They've applied the best pressure rating like they do every single season. So they're already going to be under the pump. And then, unfortunately, Power's inside the bottom three teams for points conceded from turnovers, from clearances, uh, from both those metrics. So yeah. they're going to lose clearance. They're going to get scored against. They're going to be under the pump. So they're going to turn the ball over. This is spelling uh, a big Sydney win to get them back in uh, the good books with their fans and their boss. So I'll be tipping Sydney. It looks like Nico will be too. Two Enigmas are going to play on Sunday afternoon, Essendon and GWS. They're going mm. back to Marvel Stadium as well. Marvel's having its uh, time in the sun as it always does this Easter. Yes. Um, what's our vibe on, on these two teams? Because for mine, they are the teams that you can't quite pick because yeah. in your head you're like, I'm pretty sure the Bombers have some pretty good players. And in your head you're like, the Giants definitely have some good players. Maybe they'll win. And then each week you're like, oh, they're not that good. Yes. Yeah. I'm starting to think... Um it depends where GWS play. That's that's how you know what sort of GWS is going to come out to play. When they're playing away from home, they could lose to anyone. They lost to West Coast last week. Mm. Um, but then, you know, they put up a fight against Carlton the week after. So they're, they're so hard to get a read on. Same with Essendon. I know they've, they've, their supporters would be happy with the way they've started the season. There's no doubt about that. But... Um, yeah, again, when you look at the Giants list, you expect them to be pretty good. So I, I see this as a genuine 50-50 contest. Could go either way, really. Um, but under the roof at Marvel, uh, Essendon supporters will obviously flock there on Easter Sunday in, in numbers. So I'm expecting the Bombers to get the win. But, God, I'd like, love to see some spirit, some character, some culture being shown by the Giants on an away game. Please. Yeah, there's a very big ask, I think. It um, is. I did back them for finals as well. So they need to be winning these sort of games. Super concerning metrics for the Giants. So they've conceded the highest disposal efficiency so far this year, 75%. So they clearly put no pressure uh, on the ball carrier. Yes. Uh, they give up the most handballed meters against the Blues last week. So they didn't apply any structural frontal pressure on, so they could, they could, you know, yeah, get their meters by, by handballing instead of kicking. No pressure under that either. They conceded a score from 52% of their inside 50s. So once the ball gets inside 50, they're defending really poorly at ground level and giving up marks. And that's ranked last defensively as well. And then they go on to concede a score from a third of their opponent's clearance chains as well. And mm. so we talked about, you know, you your Jets have to have the ability to go up and hunt the football only if you have that structural integrity behind them. And that's why that's why Collingwood is playing so well and that's why Port Adelaide's not. Yeah. Same here with the Giants. You look at their list and you go, oh, all these great players, but then you watch them play and it's like, oh, if he doesn't get the ball... All of a sudden, it is just a wide open field for 18 opposition players to do what they want because everyone's running around independently. That was a problem with Leon Cameron. It's still a problem now. Maybe, maybe the problem was the players after all. Who would have thought? Um, so, yeah, 
there's no there's no integrity there to like you know securely and confidently tip the Giants and they're away despite the fact they we've won their last uh, four games against Essendon at Marvel Stadium. So that's always a spanner in the works, but. The Giants are not safe to tip, so I'll be tipping the Bombers. You're going with the Giants. That's okay. <laughs> uh, Twilight game, West Coast versus Melbourne. This game's probably going to stink. Um, oh, yeah. Melbourne won their premiership over in West Coast, so there's no hoodoo there. Uh, West Coast are uh, injured and are getting smashed, and um, the game got smashed last week too. Yeah. Um, and Melbourne are the second best, if not the equal best team in the competition. So uh, how much does Melbourne win by? 500 <laughs> no I look yeah this is this is going to be one-sided uh, sorry West Coast fans but you know Melbourne went up against an elite midfield last week in the Sydney Swans and they smashed they them, them. Yeah. almost 40 uh, contested possessions yeah. more than Sydney's midfield and now you're going up against a West Coast team who are going to be without Luke Shuey um, and then obviously Ryan in the forward line Cripps in the forward line Witherden in defence uh, yeah, look, if, if Melbourne are on their game, this could get ugly. Yeah, and I think sometimes, you know, the trip away is actually good. Like, the big trip is better than just, like, a, a little trip. It's the whole, like, we're going to take a couple of days and get around each other. The whole bonding experience. Melbourne loves that. They've done it before. I'll do it again. Uh, Melbourne by plenty. And the big one, as we said, a happy hawk yeah. is here. Are you excited? Are you nervous? <laughs> are you a bit of both? Bit of both, yeah. Are you, have you been, like, watching your favourite previous Easter, Easter Monday magics? I like, really have. Yeah. yeah. I was watching uh, last year's the other day and, yeah, I was going through the archives a bit because um, you, you need a bit of that when, when your team's expected to finish bottom of the ladder. So you need a bit of um, bit of that to hype you up heading into Easter Monday. Again, like with Geelong, this could go either way. It could uh, Easter Monday and these, these clashes between Hawthorne and Geelong, they're often pretty close no matter the ladder positions. So we could see that again on Easter Monday. Or we could just see Geelong respond and blow Hawthorne out by 80 points like they did in preseason. But there are some positives here for Hawthorne to go into the game with. And believe it or not, despite what everyone's been saying about their midfield and Tom Mitchell going out of that team and Jay Gray-Mira, Hawthorne are the number one centre clearance teams in the competition. (laughs) Centre clearances with the young and inexperienced midfield that they have. So Sam Mitchell, um, former midfielder, has got them working a bit of magic in there. Um, And against Geelong, whose midfield has struggled a lot um, in these opening few rounds. I I don't know their exact position on on the center clearance table or the clearance table, but... They've been poor. I think they're about 16th or 17th. In the they are, in fact, 17th. They've 17th. lost the clearance count by seven each game this season. Yes. So, you know, that's yeah. not the Senate clearances specifically. That's all clearances. Yeah. And so, as you say, Sam Mitchell working his magic. Also, Sam Mitchell, notorious uh, one-way runner. And so maybe that's rubbing off on the Hawks as well because they have an applied pressure rating of just 165, the lowest of any side in the competition. Yeah. So maybe some bad habits rubbing off uh, on the Hawks there as well from your coach. Yeah, they, they. I mean, you see it though. They're, I think they're also number one in marks. They, yeah. The way they play, they love to control the footy. Yeah. They, that is Sam Mitchell to a T. Um, I think they definitely want to improve that pressure rating, especially when you go up against the likes of Collingwood and Richmond and all that, all those sort of teams. Um, but yeah, I think the, the one struggle is going to be that forward line again. No key forward, uh, and you're going up against you know Tom Stewart. Sam DeConey won't be there, um, but still that Geelong defense is pretty potent. As is the other end of the ground with Cameron uh, Hawkins. Does he stay in the side or not? Obviously, he's had a disrupted start to the season, but um, look, even as a Hawthorne supporter, I'm expecting Geelong to win. Yeah, I think it's an opportunity for Geelong to get their season, you know, kickstarted again. Mm. Uh, that being said, if you're a Hawks fan, there's been no better opportunity to knock off Geelong than this Geelong, this version of Geelong that seems to be under the weather, a little bit hungover apparently, but definitely not playing their best football. Uh, so you're tipping Geelong? Or are you going gonna to tip the Hawks? I just can't see Geelong going on for... Can you? No, no, no. no. I'm I, tipping Geelong, but it wouldn't be the biggest upset of the weekend if they lost. No. 
Oh, maybe just a little bit. <laughs> we have to wait to see what other upsets there are first. That is very true. And to round out every episode, we lean across this desk here for the desktop decision, uh, Nikki G's super coach tactic oh, for God the I. round. And, mate, uh, how's your team going? Because these tips are going, hopefully, not as well as your team. Team is good. Team is good? I'm not usually taking my advice on some of these. <laughs> I... I I'll admit I didn't believe in the in the super coach curse um, that I've been saying over the last few weeks. I thought it was just a bit of a coincidence that every player I named uh, turned out to have a stinker the week after. But I, I did say Luke Davis Uniac last week, bring him in. I didn't, and then he uh, gets pulled out out mm-hmm. of the game a few minutes before the first bounce, like. It's a curse. It's a curse. Well, it's a curse because you've you've done your. This is a big thing in the betting world. Like if you if you give a bet out, yeah. you have to back it. Yeah. So you can't be given. I, I do back you, it, but most you can't weeks. be given tips that you don't actually do. I I often do tips that I've already done the oh, week prior. Yeah. And then um, it screws me up for the week. There you go, week after. Yeah, fair enough. So, look, I mean, there's, there's not much for me to really say here. My tactic this week: if you're able to hold your trades, do it. Yep. Because, um, yeah, I reckon it's a good time to save. Players are going up in price. Give them a couple of weeks to really maximize their value. Um, obviously, one, though, that a lot of people have is Darcy Cameron uh, injured. So he, he needs to be traded out. Not really sure who to bring in. Obviously, Tim English, uh, Jared Witts, they're the ones to go to. Maybe even Brody Grundy. But um, it depends who you, you who you can afford. If you have the money, go English. And so your team specifically, so some uh, transparency on the podcast. You haven't done anything this week? Uh, not yet, but I need to do something because I do have Cameron out. But I don't think I can afford English as much as I do want him. There you go. And uh, what's your average score so far this season, just so we can uh, confirm your legitimacy? I think I, I've been all right. I, I don't know what my exact number is. I believe it's over 2,200, which is pretty good. Um, I had a bad first week, but I've responded well with a couple of big scores the last couple of weeks. There we go. So he's sitting high on the super coach ladder, which is just what we want. And that wraps us up. Uh, you know, 3.30 Thursday. I can just look around the office here, as we said, opposite the MCG, and everyone is flooding out the doors, ready for their long Easter weekend. So I'll let Nicky G go and do exactly the same. He's off to the west. Uh, I'm just down to the beach, and uh, I hope everyone enjoys their Easter weekend full of footy. And as always, I hope your team does it really well unless they're playing the Tigers, in which case I lose.